Well, we are going to be closing off on this series called The Point of Christmas. How many of you guys are excited about Christmas? Anybody pumped up for this? I am. I love it. Like when you're, if I was to say that in the children's ministry, it would be screaming, right? And we're like, woohoo! Yes. Uh, love that Christmas. And so we, uh, we've been talking about that Christmas just isn't Christmas without the point. And what we've been discussing is the fact that um, the Christmas music and all the different Christmas accoutrements and all the different pieces that we have, that when you lose Jesus, there's just something, some element, some aspect of the Christmas story and the Christmas season that is just vanquished. It just doesn't have the depth and the meaning. It doesn't have the same import. We've talked about the expectations. We've discussed the ideas of, um, of the Savior. We've looked last week at the wonder of Christmas and all these with different implications and different aspects of our lives for Christmas. For me, this Christmas, I think it's been interesting. Can, can I hear from my teenagers? Who are, where are the teenagers in the room? You guys in here? Can I hear from you? Like I said, if there was a children's ministry, they'd be screaming. Uh, I guess it starts in teen. But what's interesting for me is I love you guys. I did youth ministry for years. I love teenagers. I love hanging out with teenagers. And it's just lately that I've realized I have two teenagers that live in my home. It's a, it's a pretty incredible thing. They're, they're awesome kids. They are a blessing to me when they are a blessing and when they are not. They are not. And uh, we've, uh, we've been working through some various aspects because let's face it, teenagers, you guys got to admit this, right? Life is a roller coaster of emotions, right? You're, uh, my, my son especially has stepped into that zone where it's like he has the teenage emotion of every male. Anger. That's all we have. We only own one emotion. And we've been, and my daughter, you know, she has her emotions up and down. I got two more boys coming. It's going to get angry. And I finally solved the problem. I know what it's all about. I figured out what's throwing teenagers off. It's not the sleep. They're hangry. They're all hungry all the time. They eat you out of house and home. You can't feed them enough. I've decided I'm going down to the medical department to pick up an IV and just intravenously shove like um, sugar water into their veins so they can always be ready to go. But my kids, we've been talking about hangry. We've been talking about different emotions. And emotions are an important part of the season. They're an important part of life. And what's interesting is if you've been in business, you know that um, emotions are a big deal right now. They they have this thing out called the emotional quotient or EQ or uh, emotional intelligence. Some of you guys have heard of that stuff. And what's interesting about emotional intelligence is they really kind of boil it down to like five different, you know, broad standard emotions. Now, what's interesting to me is it's sort of like they're trying to figure out like what's on your taste buds, salty, sweet, you know, savory, bitter, all that kind of stuff. And they boil it down. We got five of them. And they've, they've done this. They say it's happy, sad, angry, afraid, and ashamed. If you've seen the movie Inside Out, that should, you should recognize some of that. They've taken some of that and made it into a film adaptation. But the, what's strange to me here is that only, they've got five different emotional sets, and only one of the five are really genuinely positive. Listen to it again. Happy. Who, doesn't, who, who would love to just be happy? Just happy you know, would just be is the state we'd love to be at, right? But who really wants to be sad all the time? I mean, all the time. Nobody wants to be sad all the time. You had to choose between happy all the time and sad all the time. I think we'd pick happy, unless you're some kind of morose, perverse person. I don't get you. Um, Then there's angry. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Nobody would be around you. You're just always fuming. Afraid. I know some women who are this way. Just be honest. I walk around a corner and go, hi. They go, you know, they're just always afraid. They're, They're scared constantly. Then there's ashamed. Yeah, nobody wants to live in shame. So why these four with one good? 
I think it has something to do with where we're at as humans. And I realize I myself, I struggle to not live in one of these other four of sad or angry or afraid or ashamed because life beats you up, puts you through situations. You, you're going through wrestling matches and, and just getting to happy seems like the, the rare occasion sometimes. Getting to joy is a rare occasion sometimes. And what's crazy is America has a joy problem. I was walking around, I was examining just a, just a park the other day. I was walking on a path, a path that doesn't need to be there, a path that was put there for me to walk on anybody else to jog on. We don't have horses where I live. The path is for all of us to walk our dogs and ourselves on. That's all it's there for. Trees placed there for no other reason but to be beautiful. Big open grass areas for kids to run on and people to play sports on. And over in the corner was this field with this dirt on it and kids were playing baseball. And I'm sitting here going, we are in an amazing country. Those kids are not over there scared the gorillas are going to come after. I'm not talking about like gorillas. I'm talking about like guys with guns and not gorillas with guns. Like people marching out of jungles, grabbing kids and taking them to child armies. Our kids don't worry about that stuff. I'm walking a little further and I got the mountains in my, in a vista over here. And I'm thinking I've got no wild animals. I'm freaked out about right now because they're all up and, you know, for some way we've kept them away. And then I walk up and there's a dog park, a dog park. We treat our dogs better than some countries treat people. Guys, you got a blessed country. You live in the greatest, most free, blessed country in the history of humanity. And yet, We're dying of despair. We're a country that is struggling to find happiness. It's like down in the 30 percentile. And in the last three years, because of drug abuse, because of uh, suicides and some other factors, we have literally been dropping the life expectancy of Americans every single year for three years in a row. And the number one thing that stalks the land is loneliness and despair. And you live in the most blessed place in the world. I think sometimes it's because we live in this most blessed place, we think we're always supposed to be happy. And so when you're not happy, you're even worse, right? It's like, I should always be happy. And because I'm not, man, that really makes me sadder. And there's this struggle. And yet it's Christmas. Christmas is a season of joy. If you've got, your, if you've got the lyrics, you should. If you've got a handout, you've got the lyrics. I have the song, Joy to the World. One of the songs we sing at Christmas time. One of these songs that reminds us of the joy. And I want to look at these lyrics quickly as we, we look and examine some various aspects of these things. Now, I want to point out, people have thought, maybe joy, the problem of American joy, has to do with you know, economics. And that really hasn't borne out. Maybe it has to do with intersectionalism. But it hasn't really borne out. Maybe it has to do with religion. And that's not really borne out either. There seems to be just this pervasiveness. And yet I want to remind us that this season is a time of joy. It's a season of joy. Yes, in fact, the song goes, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Now, these songs are a call for joy, but interestingly, this is an Advent song. It's not a Christmas song. It's really talking about the second coming of Christ more than it's talking about the first coming of Christ. And so suddenly you read what this joy is supposed to be about. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as 
the curse is found. And this is the line I want us to focus in on, that he's come to make his blessings flow, that Christmas and, uh, and the coming of Christ and Advent is about Christ bringing his blessings, flowing those blessings to us, that we would have joy, that we should sense and feel joy, that we should be leaving here erupting in joy, and from that shall come all kinds of things. But here, here, here's the thing. I think that the problem with our issue of joy is that it's a deeper issue than we could ever have imagined. That our struggle with joy is something that honestly needs to be viewed from a spiritual perspective more than anything. Now, let me, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, we need to start with this. Joy isn't a permanent state. Happiness is one of the five. Four of them are negative. One of them is positive. You know, it's not a permanent state. You can't just permanently be happy all the time, we say. And we get that. Joy is going to come and joy is going to go. So let's just deal with that fact because we live in this world that we do live in. We are going to have a sense where joy comes and then joy leaves. And, and this is especially true as it was shown to us by a man named the teacher. Well, his name was Solomon, but he calls himself the teacher. In the Hebrew Bible, there is an interesting book called Ecclesiastes. If you've ever read it, it's an interesting um, kind of wisdom book in which this man, Solomon, is writing as the teacher, and he's trying to describe the world in a particular way. He says, look, let's think of life as if we were only here scratching and eking out an existence here with no God to, to, to deal with. You know, we forgot about him, or yeah, there's a God, but we're just going to humor him. But we're going to live like we are it, and this is it, and this is what his whole book is written about. So he calls it life under the sun. And in chapter two, he picks up on a very interesting scenario. Tell me if you haven't heard this before. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity, smoke, meaningless. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What's its use? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, how to lay hold on folly till I might see what the good, what's good for the children and man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and put, them all, put in all kinds of trees. I made pools and forests. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks. I, he goes on to say, he gathered himself silver and gold, all the treasures. He had singers, men and women. He had concubines. He had all the delights of man. So I become great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. Does this sound like something? What other culture has had the opportunity to amass financial wealth, amass entertainments to their galore, have everything they've ever wanted so that they walk out and they have a particular day where even if I don't have something, you know what? Somebody's going to buy it for me on Christmas. That's our culture. We're a culture after pleasure. We're a culture after entertainment. We are seeking and longing and driving after every little bit of enjoyment. And this is the conclusion that he has after putting his life into this position, having all of this wealth and all of these things. He says this in verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all of it, all was vanity, smoke. You ever try to see how a long smoke or a vape, you know, vapor lasts? It's like, shh, and just hovers and eventually dissipates. 
has no point, really. It just kind of disappears, and it's striving after the wind. You ever tried to chase down the wind to grab it? It's just going to slip through your hands if you can even run that fast. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. At the end of the American experiment of pleasure, what we will find is the same thing the French found, which the same thing the Romans found, which is the same thing that Solomon has stated. It comes to nothing. And the reason why is that, honestly, we have like this life in us where these are all the joys of life here. We're just like, oh, this is so fun. And we try to fill our lives up with joy. Only the problem is we leak. I'm sorry if you have to use the restroom. <laughs> but it's true. Let's go to that movie. Let's see that awesome show. Oh, okay. I gotta, now I got to have that party. And now I got to have this. And we're trying. And we're trying. And we're trying. And it just doesn't fill up. It just it comes out too fast. And this is the nature of our life. We're like a funnel. What he's saying is you can pour all this pleasure in, do all these things. You can gain entertainment. You can enjoy things, but the joy just just comes right out. And in fact, it's even worse than that because there are joy killers in this world, aren't there? Aren't there killjoys? You're a meta killjoy? Somebody just sucks the joy out of everything? God is not a killjoy, by the way. If you're here at church and you're thinking, well, God's the killjoy. He kills everything. He doesn't let me do anything. That's any fun. Actually, what God's trying to do is keep you from getting killed. So he's stopping you from doing things that might kill you. And if you think that's fun, you're crazy. But the point is that you need to realize God's out to give us the best joy, true joy, real joy. He wants you to have a true fullness of joy. But it's not found in the little entertainments of life. Because there's these killjoys that are running around. What are some of these killjoys? I'll give you an example. The first one is disappointment. Now, for example, you have, how many guys got a present under your tree right now? Right? I used to get these presents. You'd come out and be like, oh, look at that one. And I would take it. You know, you do a little shake thing or you examine it. Or maybe you're sneaky, right? And you kind of take the tape up on the side and you kind of open it. Like, yeah. Right? Ah, I caught you. Anyway, so... I would take this and invariably you'd be like this. I'd open it up and I'd be like, it's a Nintendo! And it'd, no, it's an Atari. And it's like, oh, all the joy of, of getting it. You're like, it's an iPhone 10. It's an iPhone 6. Oh. It's never quite what you wanted. You're disappointed. You have the party. Everybody's here and everybody's having fun and you're thinking, this is going well. And somebody says, well, this doesn't really taste that good. And you're like, oh, the party's ruined. It didn't hit your expectations. Not everybody enjoyed themselves. Maybe somebody had a snide comment. When you end up in a situation in which you find yourself disappointed in your expectations, it kills joy. Another one that kills joy is when you compare. You had this awesome time. You get on Instagram. You get on Facebook. You see somebody else had a better time. And you're like, oh, man, I missed out. You had FOMO, right? You guys know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Uh, in fact, I was given the technical term last last service, but I forget it. It's the idea you have so many good choices, you don't know which one to pick because you might miss out on something. So you keep all your choices open all the time. You know, people who do that. And they're just like, yeah, maybe I'll come to your party. Maybe I'll come to your party. Maybe I'll come to your house. Because they're seeking for the best time because they're afraid of missing out on something. And when they do something, they're invariably never enjoyed as much as they could because they're comparing it to something else. The grass is always greener on the other side, we say. Comparison kills joy. Guilt kills joy. When you're a disappointment to yourself, when you've done something wrong and you feel like, oh my gosh, I have just, dis- I have just destroyed this relationship. I have just ruined my child once again by yelling at them. When you feel guilt, there's no joy. There's only self-condemnation. There's only struggle. And that's not something that's going to birth joy in your life. It's going to destroy it. In fact, here's a weird one. Requirement kills joy. 
I said, what? Yeah, one years ago, my kids can attest to this. We had a, a little Nintendo Wii in our house, and we had, somebody had let us borrow like the Super Mario Brothers for that thing. And my kids were obsessed. And I'm talking obsessed. You think Fortnite's bad? They were right on top of it, ready to play this thing 24 hours a day. They're like, "Can we play a video game? Can we play?" It? And finally, I'm just like, "Maybe there's some way I can defeat this to show them that it's not as fun as they think it is." And so I came up with this concept bad parenting moment. Don't do this. But uh, what I did is, is I, I took my kids and I said, here, here's the video game controllers. We're going to play the game. They're like, yes. I said, you have to play it for an hour. They're all, yes, we can play it for an hour. I said, no, you have to play it for an hour. Like what? I said, yeah. And if you don't get past level three by the end of the hour, you're going to have to do more chores. They start playing the video game and they can't get past one jump on level two. And you watch my son, my son and my daughter's like, bloom, bloom. eventually they're taking the controllers and throwing them on the ground. They're like, I hate video games. I'm never playing these things again. They've gone from joy to hatred because of requirement. Another scenario, your child opens up the present. They look at you and go, is that it? Do you enjoy giving presents to that kid? No, because they're requiring you to give them more. Requirement kills joy, and gratitude kills joy. Requirement is like law. It shoves you, it makes you do things, it does not, and it begins to kill joy in life. And so often, we end up thinking that God's got all these requirements, so I don't want to be around God. It's no fun. But addiction is a form of requirement. And it's really, that's the danger. Like, all these things I enjoy. Well, I enjoyed smoking pot at first. I enjoyed doing, you know, doing this drug at first. I, I enjoyed taking that because it made my back feel better or whatever it is. All these different things were enjoyments assumed it wasn't going to harm us until one day you wake up and it owns you. And it requires you to act. And you hate it. But you need it. And back and forth, addiction goes. And there's no joy in it. It kills joy. The ultimate kill joy is death. The ultimate kill joy is the one that kills the relationship because all joy is relational. All joy is ultimately really connected to somebody else. Well, I enjoy a movie. Yeah, and somebody made it and somebody acted in it. I enjoy a book. Somebody wrote it. Well, I enjoy the tree. Somebody grew it. Well, I enjoy being alive and God made you alive. All, relation, all joy is connected interrelationally. Death is a distancing of that joy. Divorce is a distancing of that joy. There's no joy in these deaths because you lose the person and you lose the joy. And all these things are the real things that kill joy in our lives, in every culture, in every place. And plenty of other killjoys. They all take what is beautiful and fun and exciting and these little joys of movies, these little joys of the food that you're going to get to eat and the joy of watching your children open the presents and they just kind of tilt them out when the argument comes and the guilt happens. So how do we fill up and gain joy? Otherwise, we're just going to be empty all the time because there's this giant gaping hole. In fact, I want to show you what I think this hole is about. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he continues in verse 11, and he says something interesting. He says, He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart. Now, what in the world does that mean, that God put eternity in our hearts? Some have said, well, it means that you and I aren't locked in like animals into the, into the instinct of the moment. You can actually look up and look above and beyond to your future. And you can look back to your past. There's a sense that you are above time. You have a cognizance beyond your moment. 
You have eternity in your hearts, and it makes you aware of things you otherwise didn't know you were aware of. For example, talk to somebody who's older than you and ask them, how old do you feel inside? Everybody invariably says younger. I feel like a 20-year-old. I feel like a 30-year-old. I don't feel like I ever went past 40. Now, that's why men, guys, we do dumb things when we're older, right? And we're like, I'm going to play that basketball game because I feel young as I am not young. <laughs> Ibuprofen, you're my friend. You know, it's like... And that's, that's just the reality of life. There's somehow this idea that we should keep living. Even when you're dying, there's a sense that I should not, this shouldn't be happening to me. Eternity is in our hearts. In fact, as, as philosophers have meditated on this, one particular philosopher named Pascal, he, uh, he's known as a mathematician, but he was a famous French philosopher, died at a very young age in his 30s, and he penned all these thoughts in his cloak. And, and the reason he'd done that was he was planning on writing a book, and this is how he kept his thoughts at the time organized. Well, after he died, his sister found them all and published them in the best order she could figure them out. They're called the Pensons. And as he writes, the, and in the Pensons, as he writes, he, he comes to the conclusion that what's happened in humanity is there is a God-shaped hole, an infinite hole in the heart of man. And what you and I are trying to do with these little tiny human endeavors is we're trying to fill up an infinite hole. See, God said he made us in his image. He said he put eternity in our hearts. And so these little tiny pleasures, they're not going to fill you up. They're not going to satisfy you. They're not going to give you your purpose for living. See, the ancients thought you lived for happiness, not anger, not sadness, not anxiety, not fear. No, you live for happiness. Joy is a part of true living. And we try to get joy out of every little bit of life, and it just leaks out. C.S. Lewis thought about this a lot, and he said it in these ways. He says, if we have a hunger and a desire and a thirst to be satisfied with something that cannot be found on earth, then it must, be, then it must mean that you are not made for earth. How are you going to satisfy that which cannot be satisfied on this planet unless that satisfaction comes from outside? And that's what Christmas is about. A joy to the world is the answer that somebody has come and he has brought something to us, that an infinite joy has come to fill up our infinite longing, that you and I have this depth that we need to fill to be satisfied with life and it can only be filled by one who is infinite. And so when Jesus comes, he brings joy to the earth. As it says in the later that God comes down to fill our joy. Notice it in Luke. He says, for ne- fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? great joy. Not just any great joy. It's a joy that will be for all the people. A good news of great joy for all people. This is a universal thing. This is not limited to to white folks up in Europe. This is not limited to the Israelites down in, in the Middle East. This wasn't limited to the Ethiopians. This is to the whole world, to every single people. And being a person who loves studying missiology and the study of the gospel as it goes into cultures, there's not a culture yet that we haven't found, that once it's wholeheartedly taken on the gospel has not been transformed for joy and justice and good. And over and over and over, be it in the bush in Africa, be it in the jungles of South America, being it on the plains of the United States, be it up in the middle of the forests of the Germanic hordes, or be it out in the middle of Asia, in the middle of their and other countrysides, the gospel comes and people are freed and satisfied. It's a joy to all the nations, to all people. 
And what we have here is that we have found that God has come not to be another one of these little joys. So we come to church and we can use church this way and go, I went to church, I got a little bit more joy. It was fun. It was entertaining this week. No, you come to church because you're going to get connected to a stream, a flow of water that never stops. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, on his night before he died, he said these words. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Well, what did he say? He said these words at the beginning of this chapter before he lands on this. In verse 1, he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And when that happens and you abide in Christ, he says, you know what will happen? You'll be full doesn't matter if you leak out. When you have an infinite God who's filling you up, you overflow with joy. See, this is the difference of enjoying something and being joyful. When you're a joy, you, if you got to go to the bathroom, you're in trouble. I'm sorry, but when you're joyful, there's nothing that can happen. You know joyful people, right? Joyful people walk around, they're whistling, they're singing, they're happy. They make you feel happy after you leave them. You're like, man, that guy's just happy. He fills you up. You enjoy them. Joyful people don't need other things to fill them up. They're full from within. And that's the picture of eternal life, Jesus said. If you'll take on this water, it will flow out of you like a fountain. Joy comes flooding out of us. The infinite has entered in, and now you rejoice. And this is what he's saying. When you abide in me, when you dwell in my word, when you're with me and you're doing the mission of God, when you're living out what God has given you to do, you are full. When you've received the gift, you are full of joy. And here's the thing. Sometimes we may get out of that. Sometimes we may remove ourselves and you'll find yourself in a situation where, hey, you know what? I'm mad at God and whatnot. And you'll get out of those things and you'll leak out. That joy will stop. Sure, you'll have it a little longer at times and you'll, you'll fill it up with some little entertainments here and there. But eventually, it'll all go away because there'll be some joy killers that come. Some things that'll occur. But joy that comes from God is an infinite joy. And it fills us completely until we run over and we can fill it into other people. And we get this through Jesus. This is what Christmas is about. Jesus is God. We saw this last week. As he fills us and he is capable, he showed and said, hey, I'm God. And then he revealed it through all of his miracles and all of the different prophecies that he answered. And other people who could identify him did identify him. And ultimately he changed the world. And when we see that Jesus is God and he's come to say, if you abide in me, I will fill you up and you will have a joy overflowing. Now that may not always come out. I get that. There are joy killers and pains, but joy is present and joy is available to us because God is the inventor of joy. It's, he's an uncomparable joy. He ends comparison. Notice this. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Not just a little bit of joy. He's not one joy to enjoy. He is the unique joy of all joys. He made joy so much so that there is no comparison. You're not missing out on anything. When you're abiding in Christ and he's overflowing in you and you're rejoicing over what you have, you have an ultimate joy. Now check this out. When that starts working like that and he is living in you and dwelling in you and it starts to overflow in your joy, doesn't mean all the little other joys aren't joyful. They just continue to overflow you. They add in. They're not ultimate, but they're addition. They're enjoyments God has given you to bless you. They're good things from God. 
And so life doesn't stop being joyful. It just becomes overly so. So when your football team that you love doesn't do very well, you don't lose your joy. It's not ultimate. When your politician doesn't become the person that's in office, you don't lose your ultimate joy. And when they do, you don't find your ultimate joy. Your joy is founded within you by the living God who dwells in you and all the other joys are coordinated as good things that add on to cause praise and worship and more enjoyment. That's what Christmas joy is about. A great joy for all people, regardless of what other little joys we've discovered in this world, there is one joy that fills us completely and fully. A universal joy from God. And so sometimes, yes, you need God. And sometimes you think you don't. If you're, in a, if you're struggling with addiction, let me tell you, you need God more than you ever imagined. Sometimes you'll be called back to that addiction, but every 12-step is aiming you at one thing, to be addicted in God. He's the best addiction. Where other addictions steal your joys, God, addiction to God is the one thing that never is bad. When you are fully after his word, fully after living for him, to love other people and make the most of their lives, to give yourself away to God, this is something that overwhelms you and overflows you with a joy and his confidence and a strength that you cannot have in just simply resisting sin. Second, when you do wander away, say you have gotten to a space right now where you, you're out here, I want you to remember this final point. That this overwhelming reality you and I have cannot be stolen from you. Because Jesus fills our joy by paying for our moral failure and our death. Now, watch. In life, somebody can die and will die. And you may get angry at God. You walk away. Maybe it's a situation you're disappointed in. You're ticked at God. He didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted it to. You just kind of remove yourself from the living stream and you're not in the word of God anymore. You're not going around his people anymore. You're not being filled with the things that God has given you to joy. Eventually, through all these things, you are going to find that anger, sadness, fear, and shame fill you more. What I want to invite you to is to see that God is still dwelling in you. He's still ultimate. Here's how you get back to him. You remember that what he has done is he paid for your moral failures. He's paid for your sins. It's done. This is what always drives me back. If I feel guilty, I can't be, my joy can't be destroyed. God's forgiven me through Jesus. If I've broken some relationship, I still have the opportunity to make it right because God has forgiven me and he gives me the strength to do that. And if somebody has died, it's not over. It's not final. As Jesus said on the night before he was crucified, he says, so also you have sorrow now. He says, you guys are going to see me dead, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you because they will realize they've been forgiven of their sin. They've overcome death and now there's nothing that can stop their joy. Somebody dies, I pray that they had known Jesus so we can rejoice. If they didn't, we trust God that he is just and good and he will do what is right. And we can rejoice because God is still God and I'm not. And that's a good thing. And what we need to do is step back and realize if I can get myself back under the relationship with God, back under, he restores our joy. Sure, we don't get it all. Sure, we don't understand all the tension and all the stuff and all the garbage he does. And he knows what we're going through and he knows what we need. And he overflows us. We get back under him with that joy. Now, Maybe you were invited here to church today. 
Somebody grabbed a, an invite, handed it to you, said, hey, come on, check out things. It's really good. I like it, whatever. And they brought you here and you're going, man, these Christians, they bug me every year. Um, you're here because it's Christmas time and your family that you're going to eat with, they go to church on Sunday. And so you're here today on Sunday because that's what you do. And I just want to tell you, the reason they brought you is because they don't ever want to lose the joy you bring in their life. One day we will die. And if you don't know Jesus, we will face our moral failures. And we will stand before God and we'll have to deal with those before God. And you may feel sorry for that, but God will ask you, what are you going to do to make it right? Now your life is over. You don't have enough time, any more time to make it right by doing good. You need some way to make it right. Otherwise, we will be punished. We will be put away and heaven will not be open in access to us because God will not dwell amongst those who have morally failed and have no way to make it right with him. And so they bring you, they invite you because they want to live forever with you. They want to know you forever. They want to enjoy you forever. They want you to have this same relationship they have. That Jesus Christ alone is the gift God gave to make it right. And in him, you find joy and life like a fountain flowing up within you. You see, this isn't abnormal. We share what we enjoy all the time. Isn't that true? The thing you're excited about, the thing you enjoy, is the thing you're telling everybody about on social media. It's the thing you're telling everybody about everywhere else. I mean, my kids, when they were little, they would come out of the doctor's office. I'd be talking to them. They'd be like, this is good. Want some? Right? Sucking on a sucker. You're looking at that thing dripping with drool, and you're just like, no. And, you know, I just want to say sorry. If you're, if you're a guest and you've been offered Jesus and it looks like a nasty, sucked-on sucker to you, we haven't done a good job because this is something we enjoy. This is something that can be shared and it's not gross. It's not disgusting. It's not something that makes you dirty. It's something that sets you free. Or maybe it's the feeling that, like, the kid who got the super soaker for Christmas, right, and you're his best friend, and he calls you over. He's like, come on over. I got a super soaker. This is awesome. I got a super soaker. And you're like, okay, I'm coming over. You're all excited. You got a super soaker. You show up. He's like, check out my super soaker. You're looking at this. Awesome. He's like, all right. Just shoots you like crazy with water. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. You know, whatever. <laughs> and you're going, when do I get a shot? He's like, never. It's my super soaker. That's what we do to people with the gospel, guys. We enjoy it so much, we just want to shoot people with it. If you've been shot by a Christian with the gospel, you're a sinner and you suck and you're... That's not what we're trying to tell you. It should be, we're a sinner. We all suck together. But God doesn't. And it ain't sucked on sucker. It's a fresh living water given for you to have. It's a joy that bubbles up in your life that becomes the ultimate joy that coordinates all other joys and life is more enjoyable. The blessings you receive here, you don't feel guilty about because there's a greater blessing. You're not wed to them. They can go away, they can come and yet your joy does not change because it cannot be taken from you. And then when you have that joy, you share that joy. It is a natural reaction to get out there and share an overflow of what's going on in your soul. You can't help it. Church, you need to enjoy Jesus more more. 
We should be a people at Christmas full of joy, filled with so much joy is bubbling over in our lives and every present that's opened and every twinkle light and every single thing that we see so that this world comes here to be filled because we are joyful and not just a place to enjoy. And in that, we see that God has given us an infinite joy for an infinite whole. Let's share that together. We got an opportunity tomorrow night. You may know some people that you need to invite because of the love and enjoyment you have in your Lord. Enjoy him around your friends. Enjoy him and share him. Let's pray. Before I do that though, you may be here today and, and you may be in that beginning point that I talked about at the beginning of the message. Maybe that cup and you're just trying to squeeze everything out of life. Maybe you're stuck in an addiction. Maybe you found yourself in the middle of a struggle point where you are literally trying constantly to fill it with more money, fill it with more things. The teacher has spoken to you and shown you it's just going to be vanity, worthlessness. Maybe what you need is to be filled with what God has given at Christmas, namely Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that. See, God gave Jesus as a gift. It's not something you earn. You don't pay for it and take it home. You receive it as a gift given to you. You see, you don't go back and clean up your life. You open it up, you take it out, and you thank God for the gift that he gave you. And that gift is his son, Jesus, to make you right with him to bear your sins, your moral failings on the cross, and to give you joy. And if you've never received that before, today is your opportunity to do that if you would like. But it's in your camp. It's, in your, it's sitting at your feet. And if God is calling you to do this, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision right now. You just put your hand up. I want to pray a prayer with you. And if that's you, you're saying, that's me. God, I need to be forgiven of my sins. And I need your joy that comes through Jesus. If you've never done that before and you want to right now, that hand up, I'll pray with you. Well, then, Lord, we ask that you would just bless us as we are here today to celebrate you. Would you open our hearts up with your joy as we have been connecting with your word, connecting with you, connecting with your people. Fill us now that we may be overwhelmed with joy that you would be celebrated here today. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.